The Leaders. Hi, I'm Richard Cluche. Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast, a conversation with Brian Pallister, the leader of the Manitoba Progressive Conservatives. We talk about his refusal to participate in more than just one leaders debate, Manitoba hydro, crime, safety, education, health care, and his future. We've both been in this for a few years now, and at some point, you're going to get out of it. If Manitobans decide to re-elect you with a majority or minority government on September 10th, will you serve the entire term? Richard, I've never been, ever, and you've known me a long time. Uh, I started in politics in the early 90s, trying to help my town. You know, Portage was losing jobs, leaking opportunity, and I've never been more possessed with a sense of purpose. I've never been more inspired by the people of this province to find positive change. I've never been more excited about this job and about the chance to uh, work with a team of people, not just elected people, but people around the province that want to see real progress and want to move forward. So, you know, I guess that's the long answer to your question is as long as Manitobans want me uh, and I have a sense that they need me, uh, I would uh, be honoured to continue to dedicate myself to helping Manitoba get stronger and better. So full term? Absolutely. And uh, no sense and I'm nobody young my age. and nobody pushing you to retire <laughs> and get get out of this. Well, and you know, look, I, I read the polls, so do you, and I mean I know I'm I've had to do some really tough things and I've I've done them. Uh, and that may, makes my unfavorable rating go up. Yeah, okay. Well my dad's unfavorable rating was really high when he was raising us too because he had challenges and he had to meet them and he said no to us a lot and you know, we that wasn't always a favorable thing, if I could use that analogy. I think Manitobans want to have leadership that's willing to do the difficult necessary things, that has the courage to look people in the eye and say, No, not right now, because we've got serious, serious needs and your wants are gonna have to be a little later. And and we've made progress and that is exciting. I mean we are making more progress on lowering taxes and the tax burden on Manitoba families than any other premier has done across the country. I get compliments from other premiers at the premier's meetings saying, how are you doing this again? You inherited a pretty massive deficit there. How are you doing it? We're doing it the same way Manitobans do, right? We're looking for savings, efficiencies, eliminating waste, and we're making sure the priority things like health care investments, which are the highest they've ever been in Manitoba, as you know, uh, are strengthened, not weakened. So you don't mind being the tough love premier? No, I don't mind. I mean, look, you know, you, you know my sports background. Uh, you, you get used to being booed. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, it's, 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 it's being able to go to bed at night knowing you've done your best and knowing that you've done the things that were the right things, not, not the easy things. I mean, it's, it's very easy to spend other people's money. And in public life, we've seen the massive growth in deficits and in debt. We inherited a growing deficit under the NDP. Um, we inherited a, a, an interest burden that for the first time this year is over a billion dollars. That's a result of not being able to think long term. I, I come from not much, but I was raised by people who didn't sacrifice tomorrow for today. They, they made investments and many, many Manitobans can relate to that. And so I care deeply about having great health care today. But I want it sustainable because we're going to need it in next year and the year after and in decades to come. So let's talk about the next three, four years if you're going to continue to be premier and, and health care. Because I look at there's a commitment to more uh, paramedics in rural Manitoba. But uh, sitting on your desk or the health minister's desk is the preliminary report from Shared Services. Really providing a yeah. map for yeah. the rest of rural Manitoba. And you think there's been some tough love here in Winnipeg with the changes. There's mm -hmm. going to be some tough love in rural Manitoba. Maybe change for the better, mm -hmm. but still change. 
Sure. So what's your message and what are you planning on doing in rural Manitoba when it comes to health care? Well, well, throughout Manitoba, you know our commitment and we keep our word. Unlike, well, another party that broke its word on a number of things, we keep our word. We've invested more in improving health care than any previous government in Manitoba history and we're getting better results. And I say thanks to the people working in the system and working on the front lines too because change isn't, it isn't easy. But we are the number one province on shortening our wait times now, number one on, on reducing our ambulance fees, which is really good for, in particular, seniors. And I think it's uh, those kinds of measurements that matter. So going forward, I, I'm from rural Manitoba. I want better health care sooner for everyone, not just in rural Manitoba, but throughout the province. And that's, that's the goal here. The paramedics investments, investments in new ambulances, and the, and the coordination, better coordination of services so that well, I had a, we had an accident on the farm uh, when I was a kid with my uncle. A uh, chemical uh, spill got into his eyes. Uh, what, what, every, every person that works on the farm has probably got a story about, you know, an injury or an illness of some kind. What we wanted was to get care to him as quickly as possible and professional care. And it's those two measures that rural Manitobans want quality care sooner. Everybody in rural Manitoba doesn't expect everything in every town. So the local hospital, be it Balder, Killarney, may end up closing because simply right now it's a glorified personal care home, but you're going to try to get through EMS, through primary care, more connections in that community. But is the message to rural folks, you know what, we've seen some pretty big changes in Winnipeg's healthcare system, prepare for those changes as well. The end goal is still better care, but there's going to be changes in our healthcare. Well, is that fair? I think it's fair to say there have to be changes. We're dead last. I mean, come on. If Mr. Canoe has his way, we're going to stay dead last. We were last. We were lost. We were going nowhere. There was no plan. Well, there was a plan presented to the NDP, but they didn't have the courage to act on it. What was that plan? Well, it was to consolidate and supersize your emergency rooms so that when you got hauled to a hospital, you got the care, the diagnosis, the treatment, maybe the surgery, right away, not, not later. And you didn't get transferred from Seven Oaks later in pain and scared over to HSC. The NDP model is like, let's spread it around. Nobody else in Canada does that anymore. And the NDP knows that and they got the report, but they didn't have the courage to act on it. And I would say to Manitobans, you have a choice forward or backward in this election. I'm, I'm not a person who scares easily. I know that sometimes, because I'm ambitious and I'm enthusiastic about making Manitoba better, I go faster than people would like. I do. And I know that that can hurt people. And I'm sorry about that. But do you want someone who will back away from the challenge as Premier, who will go back, who will leave taxes high, who will do nothing because it's hard to approach reducing wait times? It's hard. But you know, this is about ambition and making Manitoba better to me. And I think Manitobans want to see us face the challenge, like the Manitoba Bison, I use this analogy. Sure you did. Faces the storm, right? We've got to have the courage to face these challenges, and I believe Manitobans want a Premier who has that courage. Two billion dollars, yes, more nurses, more primary care doctors, yeah. uh, the ER expansion Super finally at St. Boniface Hospital, yeah. but more and more people are using their cell phones to track their health care. Mm -hmm. We still have a paper system of health yeah. cards. Yeah. Are you going to bring health care into the current century by really investing in yeah. IT and those types of things you don't necessarily get the ribbon cuttings for yeah. but are so necessary to Richard, advancing this. I'm, I'm laughing because this is exactly why we set up the Nurses Idea Fund 
and I'll give you an example of a couple of things we've already changed in government because of the Civil Service Ideas Fund that we set up, which has got a $10 to one invest, invested taxpayer dollar payback. Okay, <laughs> we used to send our crop insurance inspectors out to farms, you know, Pearson, Rossburn, Dauphin, check on the field, and then go back to their head office in Portage La Prairie, and then file a report, and then go back to the farm again you know, to do that kind of work, which then doubled your cost, doubled your time, wastes a lot of resources. There are tons of opportunities like this, and our frontline workers are going, well, why don't you put in a Skype convention room so we don't have to drive from all over the city and province to come to meetings? Why don't you put trackers on vehicles so that people don't use them to go to the picnic grounds with yeah, their family? Those the ideas are out there right away. But it's they, just a matter saving, of implementing And them. they're saving money. They're saving money, but they're not compromising care. They're making care better. And this is why I say and why we're acting. I come from the front line. I was a frontline worker in government. And I, I was uh, and am a person who respects the people who work on the front line. And I have a willingness to hear them and a willingness to act on what they say. Not run, not run away from it because it's tough. Not run away from, from it because everybody doesn't agree. But rather to take these ideas forward and act on them to make the system better. The people who work in all our systems, not exclusively healthcare, but education, social services, they're people who care deeply. And, and the ones I have the greatest respect for, uh, for in those systems want a system that works best for the child, best for the student, best for the patient. That's the thing we have to keep in mind here. And I know these changes are hard. I've got good friends. I've got family who are nurses. I've got people who are dealing with these changes head on. And I know and there's lots of hugs, <laughs> but I know it's not easy. But it's getting there, and it got there in Calgary, and it got there in Vancouver, and it got there in Edmonton, and it'll get there in Winnipeg too. We just got to have the courage to make the changes to make the system better. Richard Cluche in conversation with the leader of the Manitoba Progressive Conservatives, Brian Pallister. Let's talk about education. Let's begin with the announcement on um, property taxes and, and education here. A 10-year commitment to roll this back, costing about how much per year and how do you make that up? About 80 million a year, which represents on our global budget uh, less than 5% uh, per year of revenue. So it's a big undertaking and that's why it's going to be done sequentially over time so that we make sure we keep making all the investments we need to make to improve our education system but we also do it better and we're the province that has as you know I mean the greatest punishments to property owners in the country arguably when we when we uh, when we hear and we've heard it and you heard it on your show too people are reluctant in Manitoba sometimes to stay in their own home this makes me sad because I remember the situation my grandmother faced after grandpa passed and bills are bills and you're on a fixed income and you haven't got a lot of money and then that education tax bill comes in and you go gosh you know that's i don't know if i can afford to do much entertaining you know i can't buy a new dress there's like there's sacrifices this is why i say that this bill shouldn't be coming off the kitchen tables of seniors and it shouldn't be coming off property owners that want to improve their properties Richard we can increase the in we have beautiful housing stock here beautiful homes people have invested sweat equity in them they shouldn't be punished for that do you make that up through um, rationalizations in the system uh, we are one of the few provinces left that have so many school divisions is that something you are seriously going to look at as far as reducing the number of school divisions in this province well look I don't I don't want to prejudge the K-12 education review that's underway. I don't want to prejudge the actions we'll take after, 
But I have to say, in all honesty, yeah, we have a very top-heavy system. Let's, let's not dance away from it. I mean, there is a lot of money being invested at the top of the structure. I'm a former teacher. I have great friends who have been teachers all their life. My sister just retired from teaching. And, you know, the front line is where the action is. That's where the student, that's where you light the eyes of discovery in a student. You'll never forget that when you see it happen. You live for it. As a coach, as a teacher, I've seen that. But that means more resources on the front line, not up top. But Too the, big up top. The research would suggest that at the front line, especially in those kindergarten to grade three years, that you need fewer children in the classroom. You mm. reverse that under your government. Mm. Why and how do you get better outcomes when you're not investing in those young kids at that age? Well, we are. We're investing record amounts there, as you know. And I think that the key is the class sizes haven't increased under our government. And it's certainly not our intention to do that. What our intention is, is to make sure that the resources are pushed down to the front. We get better outcomes for our students, better supports for our teachers. Building 20 schools, I think, is a fairly significant commitment to education. We need to catch up and build more schools. We have too many students in this province that are... Uh, look, I, I went to a small school. I'm not suggesting you can't get a good education at a small school. That would, you know, probably not be a good thing for me to say. But I... But I do think it's better if the kids can have a good school rather than be in a portable classroom. A lot of portables in Winnipeg yeah. and pockets in Manitoba. So we're, we've got seven underway. We're going to build another 13. These schools are going to give our children a better opportunity to learn. But the key is the teachers and having the resources in support of them. And I think a big key is to make sure the schools are accountable to the families and the parents. And that is a structure that we're going to have a discussion about as we move forward. So I'm, I am most certainly being open about our commitment as a government to make sure we do better for our kids. We can do better than 10th out of 10 in Canada. A lot of concern about crime and safety issues, about yeah. meth. You have a plan that you're going to implement. Um, I think most of your critics, and I think you would say probably too late, that you wish you had at this a, a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. But the promises are there. What do you tell the Winnipeggers, to people in rural Manitoba, that really don't feel safe right now? Yeah, absolutely. The first, I think one of the first responsibilities of any government is to help make sure that law-abiding people are secure in their own homes and their own neighborhoods and we know the numbers I mean you and I have actually talked about this before where 90 percent of women surveyed said they don't feel safe in downtown Winnipeg after dark walking alone that's awful our plan uh, and it's not exclusive to meth because as you know I mean last year a year ago it was opioids we were talking about but our plan to deal with addictions is balanced unlike the other uh, plan the NDP put forward and it's balanced in this way Treatment, absolutely. Provide treatment, and we've expanded with the RAM clinics and many new beds, millions, tens of millions of dollars already. More needs to be done on the treatment side. Don't stigmatize a drug addict. The, the whole family suffers. Everyone suffers with this affliction. But don't think you're gonna solve the problem by making the drugs more available to the addict. No one has opened an injection site for meth on this planet, and this is the NDP's principal position they're advocating for. And it doesn't make sense. What makes sense is to help people get off drugs, not to help people get drugs. But the safety issue you raise is also something that has to be addressed. I'll, I'll argue that it starts with prevention. And the NDP did not update their drug curriculum in schools. In 17 years, they were in government. We are going to do that, and it's about time, because drug education matters. But then it's also important to make sure that the people, the 99% plus who never would use math, that they're safe. And that's, we're the only party, the NDP didn't even mention public safety in their platform, not a reference to it. 
Public safety matters, and that's why we've got David Asper, as you know, on the Police Commission investigating additional, we've already got lots of input, uh, Mark Chipman's uh, group, I'll say the Alliance, the group of local interest groups, uh, people who work in treatment, people who work in education, people who work in small business, all got together, came up with a, a, a framework of suggestions. Now we're acting on those, and we will act within 60 days when we are in receipt of that report to make sure that we're taking positive steps to improve things like surveillance, coordination, police uh, resources for uh, tracking drug dealers, um, that we have better lighting. Minneapolis has faced this challenge uh, with some real good outcomes. That's just one example. And I'm excited to see how we can make things better. Look, if you and I want to go to a Jets game and take kids, our nieces, our nephews, we want to feel safe. They want to feel safe. This is the goal we all share. It's I, I'm more worried on those non-Jet nights well, when that there's too. not a lot of that, people a downtown and, and, and continue to build our, our downtown, not only in Winnipeg, but in Brandon as well. Big time. It, it gets us to the relation. Dauphin, Selkirk, big time. And, and there's concerns there mm -hmm. about not enough resources for the RCMP. Is that we've something? Committed, and we've committed tens of millions of new resources over the next uh, term that's going to go to not exclusively Winnipeg either because rural crime rates are higher, as you know, but to work uh, to strengthen uh, the officership, if I can call it that, in our regional RCMP offices, to work with our City of Winnipeg Policing Service. And all of this, of course, uh, in part as a consequence of the teamwork we developed by working with the City of Winnipeg by working with the uh, Association of Manitoba Municipalities, by working uh, with police agencies, and by working with the federal government to come up with a plan that's cohesive. Again, I say, the NDP doesn't even mention public safety in their plan. They didn't update their drug program. You can't solve this problem by just making drugs more available to an addict. That doesn't help solve the problem. Does Manitoba need an energy policy? Do we need to update what we do, what we spend on energy? And I'm thinking primarily of Manitoba Hydro here yeah, yeah. and the debate over it because Hydro, the expansion days are over. That this is no longer mm -hmm. a damn building company, but more of a something to deliver affordable hydroelectricity. What are your thoughts and your goals on Manitoba Hydro, and I'll begin by asking, do you intend to sell it or any part of it? Well, of course not, and of course we introduced legislation to protect Manitobans from that happening, unless they get permission through referendum law, which of course the NDP ignored when it came to the PST, but that being said, what we, I can assure Manitobans is this, Mr. Canu and the NDP have a record of using Manitoba Hydro as a vote-buying machine. As recently as last week, Mr. Canu came out with a plan, he said, I, I want to raise your carbon taxes, make it more expensive for you to drive to work, make it more expensive for you to take your kids to uh, piano class or soccer, make it more expensive for you to heat your home in the winter. He said, but to sell it to you, I'm going to give you some money out of Manitoba Hydro. Manitoba Hydro doesn't belong to the NDP. It's not an ATM for Manitoba Hydro to use to buy popularity. We're going to treat Manitoba Hydro with the respect it deserves, which has not been shown by the NDP. And a classic example would be last Thursday when Mr. Canu made a under the radar with no press release deal, you know this, to promise to pay him $70 million so he'd let a hydro project go ahead. Look, where does this end? This isn't the NDP's money. This isn't, they have no right to do that. This is not an ATM for the NDP to use. It's Manitoba's hydro utility. So we are trimming at the top of hydro. It is too big up top, like many government agencies. We are pushing the power down more to the front line in that organization. We're better coordinating the operational aspects of hydro. We're pushing to have more export of power to places like 
Saskatchewan, which by the way, Mr. Canoe sets a precedent when he promises David Chartrand 70 million, doesn't he? Because how much is he gonna pay him to get David Chartrand to allow us to build a line to Saskatchewan? You see how this never ends? This, this is disrespectful. Manitoba Hydro doesn't, it, it belongs to all of us. It is going to have a debt in four or five years that exceeds our entire provincial debt. And you NDP, have to deal with that. We Boston. have to deal with that mess. So my, the people of Manitoba have to decide. You want to go back to the NDP who made the mess or forward and have somebody take charge of cleaning it up. And that's what we're going to do. Tough Love Premier. Boston Consulting Report looked at Manitoba Hydro bottom third in every single category mm -hmm. of North American you utilities. Know you know it. You've got some clean up to do yeah so does that so, mean layoffs does that no, mean a different looking Manitoba I Hydro I don't well sure it's going to be different it's got to be better right but uh, as far as the automatic outcome is well you know we're gonna fire people you know that's NDP communications misinformation the fact is we can run a better organization than we've been running and basically every critical analysis says that Fundamentally, what Manitobans are going to have to decide is who they trust to do these things. I've done these things in my life. Mr. Canoe has not. I've actually started a company. I've been in the private sector. I've created jobs. I've signed paychecks. I've, I've helped people get work. I've, I've done things in, in my life to uh, coach and nurture people. And Mr. Canoe uh, has made the claim that he's ready to do all these things now but that's not his record. But why it's not, not the record of the NDP either. But why not then debate him? Because we've had one debate. Yeah. We've had one debate. And he said, you know what? And, and you make some great compelling arguments. Sure. Why not do that because, on a one-on-one -on -one or another because, type of debate? Because we are running the most, as you know, we are running the most ambitious outreach tour. We're going, we're not asking Manitobans to come to me. I am going out to Manitobans. We will pass 4,000 kilometers today. We will be over 50 ridings that I've been to by the end of the week. We have, we have. But that's not our, a clash of ideas. If oh, you sincerely absolutely. believe. The electronic town halls, if you don't think it's a clash of ideas, I got to have you come and sit in on an electric town hall. Okay. But that's still contained. 40, that's not a format that is a debate. And, and sir. 40,000 In 67 years of CJO this is the first time there hasn't been a premier's, a provincial leaders debate on CJOB. We used to go to town halls all the time, right? There were a lot of things that were different in the old days, Richard. Now you got to get with the new way of campaigning and this is the new way. We've had over 40,000 Manitobans on our electronic town halls, asking tough questions, getting answers and follow up as a result of that as well. So I understand that CJOB wants that. I get it. A lot of organizations, no, Chamber, sure, Brandon sure, Chamber, sure, a lot of other ones. This isn't about what the organization wants. This is about getting out to Manitobans. And I'm doing that. I'm going out there. I'm seeing them. I'm with them. I'm hearing them. And I've been doing that. You'd love to go one-on-one -on -one with Kenny, oh, wouldn't look, it's you? Not, I'm not You'd afraid. love to do that. You've known me a long time. You think I'm afraid of a debate? I'm afraid of not getting out to Manitobans the right way and going hard. I'll show Manitobans with this campaign who really wants to be Premier. And that's exactly what I've been doing. Brian Pallister, leader of the Progressive Conservatives. Thanks for your Thanks, time. Thanks, Richard. Nice to see you, man. I'm Richard Kluche. Interviews with the other leaders in the days ahead. Thank you for listening to Decision Manitoba 2019, the podcast.